Welcome to the Green Acres podcast. At Green Acres, we strive to transform lives with the truth of Jesus. Today's message comes from Pastor Michael Gossett. Good morning, everybody good? You awake? Was anybody late this morning? Okay, all right. Uh, our 8.30 service, uh, people came, uh, you know, a lot of them to the 9 o'clock service today, so it was great. All right, I'm glad you are here with your smiling faces uh, without that extra hour of sleep, but uh, it is good to be together. We're continuing our uh, series this morning called Distinct, and we are looking at a distinct discipline. Now, when you think about discipline, we're not talking about disciplining your child. We're not talking about uh, you getting a spanking at church or anything weird like that. We're talking about the things that you commit your life to in order to reflect the character of Christ. What are those disciplines, these spiritual disciplines that you and I should be a part of? Because what we're going to see today is that it makes a difference in your life. You know, there's a man named James White, um, who was a baseball player in the 19th century, late 1800s, and he lived a very distinct life, and he was committed to, uh, to be very disciplined in his life, not just as a baseball player, but as a person. Um, you could say all sorts of things about James White, um, because it was uh, James White on May 4th of 1871, that it was James White who had the first hit of the first game of the first major league professional baseball game. I mean, it was a big deal. And not only that, but he went on to have an incredible career. Uh, he was the first one as a pitcher to use the windup by what we know today as a windup. He was also the first one as a catcher to wear a face guard. He thought that maybe it's a good idea to stop getting hit in the face all the time. Okay, you would think they would get there faster, but okay, it's fine. Uh, but he was the first guy to actually wear it. And, but you would think of all of his accolades, because he played for several teams, had six championships. I mean, incredible baseball player. You would think that of all of the accolades, that that is what his Hall of Fame plaque would start off with. You would think that it would say things like, first uh, recorded hit ever. You know, first time to win a championship. You would think that it would be a 19th century star of baseball or premier catcher of his era. You would think it would say all of these things, but the very first thing that it says on his plaque for his Hall of Fame plaque, the, uh, the inscription, it says the very first thing is consummate gentleman. You know, this is strange in a day because, listen, um, athletes in the late 1800s is not uh, that much different of athletes in today, being that uh, many times they are known as unsavory, hard drinking, they're known as womanizers, and James White, in the midst of this, uh, in the midst of this field of players and athletes, he had the nickname Deacon. He was known as James Deacon 
white because of the way that he lived his life. He was so disciplined that people uh, would see him going back early. People would see him getting up early, spending time in prayer, spending time with the Lord. People would recognize these things about him to the point that they understood that this man is not just disciplined as an athlete. This man is disciplined as a follower of Jesus, and it set him apart from the rest of uh, his athletes around him. As we look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, my aim today is that you and I would be able to recognize three distinct disciplines that will help us live different from the rest of the world, that we want to be known as in our discipline for our perception, in our posture, and in our practice. And so if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to open there with me. And if you can, stand with me as we read God's word together. Philippians 4, verses 4. If you got it, say word. Okay, half of you got it. All right, if the rest of you got it, say word. Still only half. Wow, this is pathetic. Okay, we'll try it another day. Verse 4 says this. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. God, we ask you now, Lord, that that you would remind us of what it means to be discipline spiritually with you so that, God, uh, it wouldn't provide any legalistic pathway to you, but, God, so that it would usher in your presence in our lives because, Father, we desire you and you alone. So, Father, would you help us now as we study your word that you would prompt us, that you would stir in us so that we may be more like your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. We may be seated once again. You know, the disciplines that Paul is mentioning here really provide this pathway for us to really follow in our own lives, in our own spiritual journey with Christ. Uh, You know, so many times when we think about salvation, we think in terms of, okay, we have made it to this point and now we are good. Like salvation is the goal line. Salvation is the finish line. This is not what Paul teaches, nor does it teach this anywhere in the Old Testament or the New Testament, but rather once you are welcomed into the family of God, we see this in the Old Testament, once you are welcomed into the family of God in the New Testament by the blood of Christ, the atonement of Christ, he saves you, sets you apart, and sets you into God's family. This is the beginning of your spiritual life. This is the beginning of your spiritual journey. It's not the end. Salvation is not this moment in your life where you receive a ticket that you get out of hell free 
and then you just go on living your own life apart from God's grace in your life. No, it is the exact opposite. Now, does God save you from damnation? Does he save you um, from the, um, the wrath of God? Absolutely, that is what salvation is about. But while you are here on earth, as you are a saved people of God, he sets you in motion to be an ambassador, to be an agent for the purpose of God. This is why we talk about multiplication over and over again here at Green Acres, because we know that a growing disciple is a multiplying disciple, and you cannot multiply if you believe you have finished your race at the point of salvation, but rather at the point of salvation, that is where you start running the race, and Paul says that you must keep your eyes forward toward Christ to continue toward Christ. The, the, the prize at the end is Christ himself. And so he's given us this motivation, but what are we to do that would help us have guardrails in our lives that would give us the best opportunity to make the greatest impact for the kingdom of God? Isn't that what you desire ultimately? I mean, don't you desire to live a life that has a great influence for the kingdom of God? You see, this is what is interesting, that when Christ does save you and you have the Spirit of God in your life, you have this new desire for the things of God. You have this new desire for the kingdom of God. And so because of this new desire that we have, being a part of the family of God, we want the guardrails, we want the disciplines to know, how can I move forward in this race? How can I stay in between the ditches on this race that God has placed me in? You know, one of the first disciplines that we see is to understand our discipline of perception. Now, what is perception? Perception is what others think of you. Perception is what others see of you. Perception is maybe this image that we give off to others. And and here's the truth. Uh, People are perceiving who you are constantly. Now, it would be unfair for us to believe that we could control perception. You can't control what others say of you. You can't control what others think of you. I had a wise uh, friend tell me this. He says, uh, people see what you do. God knows why you did it. I think that's a good statement. Perception is what people see of us. And so what does this have to do with our discipline? Because if we are honest about our perception, um, we would need to be disciplined in it as a means of aligning ourselves with the character of Christ. Now, believe it or not, summer is right around the corner. Some of you have been tracking this because you know that now is the time. If you want to get rid of that dad bod and have that beach bod, then you better get into motion, okay? So we're looking forward to summer. Um, but there's this guy who didn't re- really have the discipline to get rid of the, be- uh, the dad bod. And so he knows that summer's coming. And so he has this brilliant idea. All right, this is a true story I read on the internet on Wikipedia, okay? Um, kidding. <laughs> That's a joke. Um, but I did read it, an article this past week, no joke. This guy has this brilliant idea. He said, listen, there's no way I can be ready for summer. I love chicken, wing, chicken wings, pizza, and beer too much. Uh, that I'm not going to be ready, okay? I'm just quoting him, okay? I'm not condoning it. 
Uh, but here's the, here's the truth. He says, there's no way I'm going to be ready. And so he has a buddy who is a tattoo artist. And so he thinks to himself, what if I have my buddy tattoo a six-pack on my keg? Okay, here. <laughs> this is legit. I, I was going to look up a picture so I could prove it to you, but then I got scared and bailed before I started Googling, okay, images of a tattooed belly. I don't know. Um, so, so he does this. And, and basically, it looks no different. All it is is that there are just lines across this uh, round-shaped uh, Santa belly, okay? And so it doesn't really work, okay? So the idea of perception is not the attempt to, de- de- to uh, deceive people, right? The understanding to be disciplined in perception is not so that you can fake your way um, through life. It is so that you can continue to fall into the grace of Christ over and over and over again. You see, here's what we need to understand. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Write this down. Uh, Our discipline of perception does not give us freedom for deception, but rather discretion. You see, this is really what an understanding, being aware that people are perceiving you, people are watching you, people are looking at the way you live your life. Perception does matter the way you are aligning yourself with Christ. This is why Paul says in verse 4 and 5, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. You see, what Paul's understanding is that perception does matter. Even though you can't control it, people are watching you, they see you, they are going to observe your life, and one of the first things that they're going to see, if they are observing, listen, others will observe your joy. They're going to see your joy. This is why he says twice, he says, rejoice always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Listen, Paul is being very emphatic here. He's repeating the same thing, maybe in a little bit different way, but he's saying the same thing. Basically, what he is warning the church of Philippi, he is warning the people, he is saying, listen, I'm going to warn you, and I'm going to remind you over and over and over again, rejoice. I want to remind you, rejoice. I want to remind you, rejoice. Let your joy be seen to the world around you. You know, I think one of the greatest Um, supernatural wonders of the world is joy even in the midst of suffering and pain and sorrow. Listen, you know who can do that? Only followers of Jesus. There is no other joy that exists other than the joy that we have in Christ himself. And it doesn't matter of the circumstance happening around you. It cannot deplete your joy. Why? Because your joy is not found in your circumstance, but rather it is found in the throne of Jesus Christ. And as long as he is on the throne, you can have joy. And guess what? He is not planning on leaving the throne anytime soon, actually ever, okay? This is a big deal for us that we can have joy. What does it mean to rejoice? It means let your joy be known to others. I mean, you think about that. Listen, I'm going to tell you, um, one of the most difficult parts of sanctification in my life is in the car. All right, I, I have road rage. 
Okay, I've never hit anybody or like with my fist or anything, but, but I'm telling you, um, there's this lack of joy when people are just moving slow in front of me. Just go to the other side, okay? It's not hard. All right, and uh, don't, nope. We're all admitting a lack of self-control together. This is a great day in the Lord's house, okay? But, but here, here's the truth, though. Here's the truth. People, the world needs to see the joy in God's people. And here is why. Listen, there are so many things that could take away your joy. And listen, I am the worst of these. I am the chief among joyless uh, sinners, okay? I'm telling you this right now. And, and I'm telling you that the Lord has pricked my heart this week as I'm studying this to rejoice always. God, are you kidding me? Like, how can we rejoice right now with so many things going on? How can we rejoice in this? Listen, and God reminded me, listen, the world is watching you because the world is dependent on their circumstance to provide joy. I've already given you all the joy that you will ever need. And this is the difference in a follower of Jesus and the rest of the world. And the warning is that the world is observing. Others are watching the way you rejoice. And let me tell you this, the world sees the way we worship. The world sees the way we sing. This is why when we come into God's house together, that it doesn't matter what song is going on. It doesn't matter what's being uh, sung together. What matters is that Jesus is on the throne. And so we can rejoice in our singing. We can be loud with our singing. We can sing with joy. Why? Because Jesus is worth it. Because you, in the midst of your sin, in the midst of uh, having no chance apart from the movement of Christ, he reached down out of heaven and said, I am going to save you from your sin, even though you don't deserve it. Therefore, God's people, we have something to rejoice about. We have something to sing about. Therefore, let the world see your joy. Let the world see my joy. Others are going to see it, and they're also going to see our balance. Now, this seems kind of strange uh, to say, because I'm not talking about, you know, like on a balance beam. I'm not talking about uh, physical balance. I'm talking about emotional and spiritual balance. You know, so many times I've read this passage, and I go right over verse 5. Verse 5 of Philippians chapter 4 says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Now, think about that. What does it mean to be reasonable? What is Paul referring to when he is describing reasonableness? Other translations say, let your gentleness be known. Other translations say, let your uh, understanding, let uh, what is pure, let what is good be known to everyone. But here in the CSB, it says, let your reasonableness, and I love this translation of the Greek word there, because this is uh, more of the essence of what Paul's getting at when he says reasonableness. It's this idea of being able to maintain mental and spiritual balance in the midst of chaos. You know, the warning here is, he's saying, don't stoop to the world's level of being unreasonable every time something bad happens. Every time the world collides politically, you don't have to step in and give your thoughts. You don't have to step in and give your thoughts on why the stock market is not doing what we hoped it would do and it's not performing well. Listen, the rest of the world can go in chaos because they don't know the one who's controlling all things, but you do. I do. 
And so therefore, we can be reasonable above all else. You know, there was a really interesting story about James Deacon White. In 1878, uh, they're playing a game. James is on the field. All right, and the ump is about to make the call. The umpire is about to make, it, make a call, but he didn't have a great angle on the play. And so he goes over to a player on the field who is James Deacon White, and he says, James, did you happen to get a view on that play? Isn't that strange? I mean, James could have said anything in that moment. He could have bent a little bit. He could have taken advantage of the situation. Instead, he just called it the way it truly was. And he told the ump what the real call was. And, and, and the other team started complaining. And the umpire made this statement. He said this. He says, when white says a thing is so, it is so. And that is the end of it. I mean, this is an idea. I mean, this is a guy who, who is reasonable in all things. You're talking about a distinct discipline to maintain reasonableness, that, that people would trust you to make judgment calls, that, that people would trust you to say the right thing, that people will trust you to do the right thing because they understand that you belong to someone else, not your own that you're not working on behalf of yourself. You're not going to speak on behalf of yourself, but rather you are an ambassador and agent for a greater kingdom and a greater king who is Jesus Christ. And so everything that we say, everything that we do, the way that we act, the way we interact with others, let our reasonable, uh, reasonableness be known so that we can maintain trustworthiness so that we can be above reproach in all things so that when the world is in crisis, they look to believers they look to followers of Jesus and say, what shall we do? This happens over and over and over again all throughout the Bible. And it is God's people who step up with reason because we are committed to truth and we are committed to something bigger than ourselves. And that is the kingdom of God. Let our reasonableness be known around the world. We should be disciplined with our perception and disciplined in our posture. Do you see what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6? He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in prayer, by prayer, in supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You see, our posture as a follower of Jesus is important. And the way this begins is with this persistence in prayer. You see, if we're going to have a correct posture before God, then we must be persistent in prayer. You know, so many times we treat prayer as crisis management. You know, something has happened in our lives. Okay, um, I've, I've tried this avenue. I've tried this avenue. I've tried to fix it in this way. I've tried to maintain control of it. And now I understand that it's just spiraling out of control. I don't know what to do. I guess I'll pray about it. You see, that's not persistence in prayer. That's reactive prayer. God is not calling us to reactive prayer. He is calling us in proactive prayer, meaning that we are to be persistent in all things that we, according to what Paul says, that we pray without ceasing, meaning that we never step apart from a spirit of prayer in Christ. You know, this is the way that you walk with the spirit. This is the way that you stay in step, according to J.I. Packer, in the spirit of God. It is that you maintain 
maintain a posture of persistent prayer before a holy God because this persistence in prayer is an understanding that we are completely dependent and desperate for Jesus to move in our lives. Apart from him, I can do nothing. This is the example that Jesus gave us. This is the example. When he says, but in everything, by prayer, in verse 6, Paul is looking back on the example of Christ himself. I mean, this is what it says uh, in John chapter 5, verse 19. He says, uh, truly, I tell you, the son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son likewise does these things. Then later in verse 30, he says, uh, I can do nothing on my own. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. You see, Jesus is giving this example of how our prayer life should function, that we must understand that we are nothing and we can do nothing apart from Christ himself, apart from the spirit of God working in our lives. This is why we must be persistent because we are always in desperate need of Christ in our lives. And this is what you see in the early church over and over again. This is why the disciples, they asked Jesus, they said, Lord, teach us how you pray. Listen, the disciples are not ignorant of the Jewish ways of prayer or the common ways to pray of the day. They saw something different in Jesus. They said, no, 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 Lord, we don't want to know how to pray. We, we want to know how to pray like you. There's something different. With Jesus, it wasn't religious. Uh, it wasn't a religious duty, but rather it was a delight Why? Because it wasn't religious, it was relational with Christ. This is our relational connectivity with God himself, the one who put your heart in motion, the one who hung the stars in the sky and holds the moon in its place. He tells the seas where to go. He tells the lightning where to strike, and he is curious and wants to know you. He wants to know more of you. He wants to hear from you. Why? Because he is compassionate and loving. And although he already knows everything about you, although that he already knows your requests before you bring it to him, he wants you relationally. See, this is, this is crazy for us to think about. But you know what Jesus did on the cross when the veil was torn from top to bottom. He is, this is a declaration that God has now made a way that he may dwell among men. And not just among us, but within us. That we have access to the highest throne in all the universe. The writer of Hebrews says that we can come with a boldness. We can approach him with confidence because of what Jesus Christ has done. And although the Lord already knows your requests, what he is doing is supernatural in your prayer life. Because he doesn't uh, uh, just attach himself to the plans that we have. But rather he bends our understanding of life. He bends our will toward his and gets us aligned with him. See, so many times our prayer life consists of prayers that are not reflective of a battlefield. So many times our our prayers are, God, would you help 
what I'm already doing? Would you bless what I already have going on? Listen, I, I don't need your direction. I don't need you to tell me where to turn or go or anything like that. I just need you to bless what I'm already doing. I mean, you think about that for a moment. God, will you please bless this? God, will you please help me in this? Instead of God, will you help what's already in motion? God, will you wreck everything in my life so that I am completely in step with you? Do you know this is why Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 that he gives us a, uh, this understanding after putting on the armor of God. He then steps into what it means to pray. He says that, listen, you must put on the armor of God because there is a battle at hand. There is a war at hand in the spiritual realms. Listen, it's not against flesh and blood. It's against, uh, it's against something much greater than that, something much bigger than this, something that you can't always see. And he says, therefore, put on the armor of God. And when you do, step into the battlefield of your prayer closet and get on your face and your knees before God and beg him for mercy, beg him for movement, beg him for his spirit that he would fall on us. And this is persistent prayer that we align ourselves with Christ. We're not attempting for God to align himself to us. There's a real difference. And so many times, just confession here, so many times I do the opposite. Say, God, would you please just help what's already in motion? But I want to be persistent in prayer in the way that he is calling us because this opens the door for us to be persistent in gratitude. You see, over and over again, we see these, these ideas linked together. Prayer and gratitude, gratefulness, thankfulness. These things are so often tied together. Look at Colossians 4.2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Verse 6 of our passage, do not be anxious about anything, but uh, everything by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving. Okay, Ephesians 5.20, Paul says, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Listen, your gratitude through life is a reflection of your relationship with Christ. Where we lack gratitude, that is where we are lacking an understanding that it is God who is giving all things. It is God who is sustaining all things. It is by his power, only by his word, that we are alive today, and therefore we have gratitude. And just like our joy, our gratitude is an overflow of what Christ has already done and what he's going to do, that he is not going to let you go, that he is going to hold you through it and see you through to the end of the race. And you know what this does? It puts us on this trajectory to have a discipline for practice. You see, the very last thing that Paul says, he, he's going through these disciplines and he says, okay, therefore, don't just hear the word. Don't just hear what you, uh, that I am telling you. Don't just view what you have seen of me. But instead, practice these things. Same concept from James. Don't be a hearer of God's word only, but hear it and then obey it. See the same thing in Romans 8. Hear the word of God. Hear the call of God. Then obey it. And you will commit to practicing these things. 
Have you ever heard the concept that practice makes perfect? I had a great coach uh, in middle school who meant well, but he told me this. He says, listen, practice makes perfect. We're going to practice hard because practice makes perfect. Well, as a seventh grader, um, I thought he was right, but now I'm thinking, well, that liar, okay, that is not true, okay, because I practiced harder and more than anybody, and I was still mediocre at everything, okay, it just doesn't work necessarily, but here's uh, some honest truth here, uh, it also doesn't even work for the greatest NBA players of all time, you think about in 2016, uh, Cleveland Cavaliers versus Golden State Warriors in the finals, This game seven, the game is on the line. The Cavaliers go up uh, by two, um, and and now the Warriors have the ball, and guess who has the ball in his hand? The one and only Steph Curry, who, by the way, um, this is not up for debate because you don't have a microphone, but he is the greatest three-point shooter of all time, okay? Just phenomenal. There's nobody else you would rather, don't, okay, all right. A bunch of happy clapping today, all right? But, but he's the best. All right, you would, you would want him to have the ball. And so he brings the ball down, or they pass to him, don't remember the play, and then he takes the shot, and what happens? He misses. Cleveland Cavaliers were the world champions in the NBA for 2016. And here's what is interesting about it. In an interview later, they asked Steph, hey, what happened? And he said, man, I just got selfish. And I tried to make this shot. I wanted the shot because I've practiced it so many times. There are a couple of reasons that frustrate us in our walk with Jesus. So many times we we think to ourselves, man, I'm practicing, I'm practicing, I'm practicing. I'm reading my Bible. I go to worship. I'm in a connect group. I'm serving. I'm doing all of these things. And yet the peace of God still eludes me. It still is not upon me. And we think, why is it this way? First of all, don't doubt what God is doing in your life when you are submitting yourselves to him. When you are surrendered to him, don't don't doubt. Just because things aren't working super quick, okay? Stay committed. This is why Paul says it's a race. It is a long race. Stay in the fight. But there's also another reality. Can you imagine if I went up to Steph Curry, Coach Kerr, whatever, and I told him, I was like, guys, I've been practicing a lot, okay? I have a court in my driveway. I, I've had some chalk, and I drew a three-point line. It's, it's high school three-point line, okay, nonetheless, but I'm ready. They're going to look at me and probably be kind and say, well, man, you're, just, you're not a part of the team. It doesn't matter how much you practice, you're not a part of the team. You see, so many times we practice the things of God, but you don't belong to the team of God. So many times you practice the things of God, and you're wondering, okay, well, why don't I have peace? Listen, this is what the Pharisees thought. The Pharisees had this understanding that if I just clean up what I'm doing, if I just clean up the outside, then everything will be all right. I'll have the peace of God. I'll have salvation. I'll be secured for all eternity. And yet, deep down, you know that you have none of those things. You see, the first step for you to live in disciplined, uh, disciplined life with Christ is to actually belong to Christ. 
Don't try to get it the other way around. And you may be thinking to yourself, yeah, but you don't know what I've been through, man. I've got to clean some things up before I give my life to Jesus. Listen, you can't clean anything up. Only Jesus can do that. He says, come to me, all who are weary, all who are brokenhearted, and I will give you rest. You know what he says? He says, I will give you my yoke. I'll give you a yoke of righteousness for your yoke of filth. You come to Jesus, and then he cleans you up, and he puts you on this new path, a new trajectory. But don't neglect coming to him, surrendering to him. Don't just think the practice is going to win the championship, and don't think because you practice, you belong to the team. Practice because it's a new desire in you to become more like Jesus and be distinct for him. Not so that you can gain salvation. Will you just pray right where you are? And will you just ask the Lord right now? Ask the Lord, God, do I belong to you? Ask him and he will reveal it to you. He'll make these things known to you. He's a good father. He wants to help you and welcome you into his family. And just ask, Lord, do I belong to you? Others of you in the room, you know you belong to Jesus, but you have no desire for the things of God. You don't have any desire to practice spiritual disciplines. Well, ask the Lord now, God, would you give me a renewed energy for your kingdom? A new desire for your word to pray Ask the Lord of these things. The Bible tells us if we ask anything in the name of Jesus according to his will, those things will be given unto you. Ask, and he will give those things to you. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that you have given us these disciplines to practice, to abide in, because, Father, we understand that it is your presence that we long for. It is your presence that we desire. And so, Father, I ask right now, in the name of Jesus, Lord, would you give us a desire for you? God, would you give us a desire for your word like never before, a desire to pray like never before, Father, because we want to be in the center of your will. And unless we are persistent in these uh, disciplines and in our prayer life, God, we know we can't know what that is. So, Father, would you draw us in for those in the room right now, Father, that they know they need to be saved. They know they need to be baptized. Will you help them respond today in the name of Jesus? And as in your son's name we pray, amen. Hey, thank you for joining us today with our church family here at Green Acres Baptist Church. And this invitation is for you. Maybe God is stirring in your heart right now from what you have heard Maybe you need to give your life to Jesus. Uh, Maybe God is calling you right now for salvation. You know, the Bible is very clear that if we uh, confess with our mouth and if we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, the Bible says that you will be saved. And so right now you could pray a very simple prayer and just say, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need you to come into my life and save me. If that's you today, we wanna help you and walk with you with this decision. Maybe for others of you, Uh, Maybe you've been saved, but maybe you've been waiting to get baptized. Uh, Maybe you need to 
figure out what it means to be a member of our church here at Green Acres, whatever that decision is, we want to come alongside you. And so do us a favor. You can fill out the Connect card at GABC.org, and one of our team members will be with you very shortly. Whatever it is that God has laid on your heart, we want to walk with you in your growth in Jesus Christ. I look forward to hearing from you soon.